uh, to those who've been uh, traveling. I just wanted to say on this Epiphany Sunday uh, that it is good to be together and there are a lot of uh, great things going on. Uh, Epiphany Sunday often uh, celebrates um, in many cultures the coming of the three kings to represent uh, the three wise men to present their gifts to the Lord at the revelation of Jesus. And we uh, celebrate the revelation of Jesus, not just during the Christmas season, but continually throughout the year. And so we welcome you in the midst of that and this Epiphany Sunday. But we also believe that the Epiphany Sunday is going to reveal the favorite of the Lord. And so no (laughs) subliminal messages here. But the playoffs have begun. And um, if... Oh, right, 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 right. They also benched the man of God, Fowler. So judgment has come. So anyway, <laughs> so with that in mind, we are, we are excited um, to be here uh, celebrating with you today. We also have, I uh, just wanted to say, our man serving God from the beginning, helping to plant this church and uh, serving God faithfully, even on his birthday, uh, Joseph McDay. This is his birthday today. Everybody give it up for Joseph. <laughs> And then also, he wouldn't tell you, but later this week, you won't see him on the day, but later this week is actually Pastor Cole's birthday. So make sure to give uh, Cole some love this week too, okay? Then we celebrate all that he is. So with that in mind, um, we're going to jump into the Word today, but I also want you to, um, just one more thing, I know like I have rolling announcements, but show your love to Tegan and Sarah Fiedler, who are back from Florida and like welcoming, welcoming the new year with us too. So they were instrumental in all that God's done to um, start this church. And so we just love, love, love everybody. Okay, let's get into the Word of God. Okay, so with that in mind, we are um, going to uh, finish our New Year's, our uh, series that we've been going through over the course of the past several weeks. We've been doing a declaration series, and we did a declaration series just talking in general about the declarations that people need to make as believers if they're going to keep a sure and steady course with the Lord. As we moved into the Advent season, we started a series that was a little bit tailored to the Advent season, talking about the declarations of the Advent. And today we're finishing this series by talking about declarations of the new year. Last week, Pastor Cole talked about the fact that we are to declare that we should have forgetfulness of our past lives, whether it be our successes or our failures, and remember God's faithfulness. And this year, um, this week, what we're going to do is we're going to finish this series by, series by talking about a declaration that's important for all of us, uh, where really we need to declare, as the people of God did throughout their lifetimes, my eyes will see the salvation of the Lord. My eyes will see the salvation of the Lord. Now, it's important because of the fact that a lot of times we have a faith that is expecting and looking for something in a far-off time, right? Whether it be after we pass on to go on and be with the Lord, or it's something that we're looking for if he comes sooner than that for our lives. As we're trusting in Jesus, we look to one day be with him. Um, But as we begin this new year together and we talk about our expectation for the year, we also want to have an expectation for our lifetimes, that in our lifetimes, we will in fact see the salvation, the rescue, the deliverance, the movement, the power of God displayed in 
and through our lives. That it's not something that we just agree to academically. It's not just something that we agree to mentally, but it's something that's an actual expectation that we have whenever we're walking with the Lord. And so today, if we are going to have an expectation in the new year that we will in fact see the salvation of the Lord, we're going to look at it in the scripture from the life of three people, the lives of three people. We're going to look at the lives of a man named Simeon, a woman named Anna, and of course, Jesus Christ himself, and how they were looking for the salvation of God Almighty within their lifetimes. And we're going to see what lessons we can learn from them as we look at the early life of Jesus. And so today, if you're taking notes, we're going to talk through this in three terms. We're going to talk about a walk with God, our need to talk with God, and then finally, our expectation to run with God as we do so. A walk with God, a talk with God, and our need to run with God as we do so. So let's open our Bibles today to Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 22. It says, And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, Every male who is first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation, or otherwise known as the comfort, of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation." that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed." And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at the very, that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Going into the new year, we all have different expectations. And a lot of times those expectations are based on the experiences that we've had most recently. Uh, A lot of times if things are going well for you, you have a great expectation going into the new year, right? That things will continue to go well for you. If you've been walking with God for any period of time and you have 
uh, been expecting great things, but they have not come yet, then you feel like the new year's, the, the calendar year has turned over, but I'm going to do my best just to be faithful and remain faithful until his promises come about. Or if you've been dealing with certain challenges in the year prior, that can be another type of expectation, right? Where you are still solid and you're still holding on to God, even for your faith or for your dear life, but you're doing it without much hope. You're saying that though there's a new year, it doesn't necessarily mean that my circumstances have changed. I'm basically in the same spot, and though everybody else is making their New Year's resolutions and rejoicing around me, I'm having a tough time pressing forward into expecting something new from God. And so we We all find ourselves in different places when we approach the new year. But regardless of the place that we find ourselves, we can always find encouragement in the scripture. And in the midst of the scripture, in this particular passage, talking about Jesus' early life, we see at least three people who represented those different phases or those different positions or postures of life. First, we see that there was Simeon, the man of God, and I like to call him Old Faithful. Old Faithful because at this point in his life, he was an older man who had walked with God for a long period of time. And when I say walked with God, I mean that in a dynamic sense. I mean it in not just a sense of believing the right things about God. He was an Israelite and he was found to be in the temple. And so he would have been familiar with the law of God, the Mosaic law of God, the Torah and the prophets and the promises that came about in Old Testament Israel. But he had something more than just the written word of God that was declared for um, to him. He had a walk with God. And because he had a walk with God, there was a dynamic that was upon him. And it said about Simeon that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, who is Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was upon him. And because the Holy Spirit was upon him and he had a walk with God, he had a sensitivity to God. And God, by the Holy Spirit, made him a promise. He said that even though you're old faithful, even though you've been walking with me for a long period of time, I'm bringing about a new season. And I want you to know that before you pass away in your lifetime, you are going to see the salvation of God. Now, that would be an amazing thing for a man who was going in and out throughout his lifetime, doing offering sacrifices, obeying the law, giving himself to the commandments, but still seeing around him the Roman oppression that the Israelites were living under at the time. When he said, when the Holy Spirit was speaking to him or revealing to him that he wouldn't die before he saw the consolation or the comfort of Israel, he was expecting things to change around him. And that was revealed to him only because he didn't just have the word, but he had a spoken word to him by the Holy Spirit. And in this new year, in this new season, one of the first things that we need to do if we're going to have an expectation of seeing the salvation of God is we need to have a walk with God a walk with God where we're able to hear from God and hear from God in such a way that he gives you promises based on his word that you're going to see his salvation in whatever form you need to see it in. 
For some of you, it's physical healing. For some of you, it's actually coming into a new place in your calling or destiny in God, meaning the thing that God has specifically set you apart for, for his glory in the earth, he's calling you into that thing in the new year. And your eyes are not just going to hear about it, but you're going to see it. But the only thing that's going to keep you in the midst of that time is the Holy Spirit being upon you and the Holy Spirit moving you through your walk with God to come into that which God has for you. We see that the Holy Spirit didn't just come upon him and make a promise to him that he would see the salvation of God or he would see the consolation of Israel. But because he was walking with God, it said that the Spirit of God moved him. That, that, that God himself was moving in the life of Mary and Joseph who had had Jesus and basically were presenting him according to the law of the Lord, separate than anything that Simeon was doing, separate than anything that Simeon was thinking about. And they were just obeying the law, presenting him at the temple. But the Holy Spirit of God moved Simeon because he had a walk with, walk with God. And through that movement, he was able to actually engage Mary, Joseph, and Jesus himself. See Jesus, the author of salvation for all Israel, the author of salvation for the whole world. And the promise came about because he didn't just know about the promises, but he was walking with the promise giver. And he was walking with the promise giver in such a way that when he said to move, his promise was fulfilled because he was obedient to his voice. And when we're coming into the new year, what we've got to know is that I will see the salvation of God if I learn to walk with the Holy Spirit. If I learn to obey the voice of the Holy Spirit with his voice and his word or his spirit being upon me. I must have a walk with God. And as I do so, I will see the salvation of God. Why was he able to trust in God's promise, the Holy Spirit speaking to him upon him? Because in Isaiah 43, he based that promise and it was confirmed to him based on the word that had been given before. And in Isaiah 43, 18 through 21, 700 years before this time, God had spoken about his redemption or his consolation for Israel. And he said this, he said, remember not the former things. Behold, I am doing a new thing. So, old faithful, though you've been going through the motions and you've been trying to hold your ground and all you've seen are the normal things around you, I'm telling you, and from times past, at some point, I'm going to do a new thing. And he said, when the Holy Spirit spoke to him, there was something that awakened in him. There was something that he had an expectation for based on the word that God had already spoken. And he said, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people who I formed for myself, that they might declare my praises. And when he was reflecting on the written word of God, the Holy Spirit was able to speak to him clearly and confirm that written word by his spoken word. And in the same way in this new year, for you to see the salvation of God, you need to have not one or the other, but a marriage of the two. An understanding and a foundation in God's written word, and then what's illuminated in the written word comes about by your walk with God by his spoken word. 
God wants to bring everybody into that so that he could, you might, in fact, see the salvation of God. But it wasn't just for a man like Simeon who was all old faithful. It was also for a woman like Anna. Anna who had a different challenge. Anna who it said about her that she was a virgin up until her marriage, but then she got married. And then seven years after being married, she, had, she became a widow. She became a woman who was dealing with the rest of her life with a loss. Something that she would have to, in essence, in that culture, have to almost fend for herself in a way that she didn't know how. She would depend on the gracious provision of God and the provision of his people to make a way for her. And for until she was 80 plus years old, she had a choice to make. I'm not going to just walk with God. I've got to learn how to, in the midst of my distress, in the midst of my disappointment, I've got to have a good expectation of God by learning to talk to God. Now, if any of you have come out of a place over this past year where there was disappointment, hardship, or tragedy in your life, whether it be something circumstantial or something in your soul, you can find yourself in a place like Anna. You can find your place in a, yourself in a situation where you're like, God, I've trusted in your goodness, but for a long period of time now, I'm being tested. I'm being tested in my faith and tested in my expectation towards you because what's not going to change is that, my, in Anna's case, my husband's gone. What's not going to change is that I've lost the person that I was supposed to build a life with, but I've got to still wake up every morning and say, you are good, and I'm expecting something good from you. And in the midst of Anna's situation, she had to learn not just to walk with God as Simeon did, she had to learn to talk with God. Because in the midst of trial, trial will either drive you to God or away from him. And you have a choice to make in the new year. In Anna's case, she learned to allow trial to drive her to God. To God. Where instead of actually falling away from her faith, and instead of having no expectation of God, after she suffered the disappointment of the loss of her husband, she was driven to God. And her response was, for the rest of my days, I'm going to give myself to prayer and fasting. To prayer and fasting, so that I might in fact participate in that which God has promised to all his people. I'm not going to remove myself from the promises of God because circumstances would try to discourage me. I'm going to instead allow the circumstances to push me, to propel me into God's presence in such a way that I'm depending on him. I'm talking with him. I'm crying out to him, expressing my heart towards him and saying, God, if you don't come through as a widow, I don't know what I'm going to do in this culture. If you don't come through on behalf of my physical needs or my financial needs, what am I going to do in the midst of this environment? And many of us feel like that, right? But instead of actually going to God, we run away from him, receiving and multiplying the disappointments that we have in life. We go to alcohol or drugs or imbibing in like all types of numb, mind-numbing Netflix, Netflix marathons, <laughs> trying to escape the pain and the pressures that we feel in life. And God's like, let this pain drive you to me. And in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your prayer and fasting, you too shall see the salvation of God. And it wasn't just, it wasn't just because of a spoken word to her. 
where Simeon had a walk with God and he had the privilege. He had the privilege of having something spoken to him by the Holy Spirit. We have no mention of that in Anna's case. We have no mention of that in Anna's case. Have you ever felt less spiritual in an environment before? Because some people are talking about all the things that they hear from God. And it's like, yeah, God told me this, God told me that. And I'm like, listen, I just got up this morning. (laughs) You can say, God said whatever, but I'm just happy to be here. That was like Anna, right? I may not have heard anything, but I have his word as a foundation. And she, you better believe, spending time in the temple, night and day, fasting and praying, was placing her hope even on something like Psalm 27, where she said this, where um, the psalmist said this, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord, not in the sweet by and by, but in the land of the living. I believe that I shall look on the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And the exhortation was, wait for the Lord, be strong, And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And as she reflected on that written word of God over and over again, being in the temple night and day, fasting and praying, she too had an expectation. I will see the salvation. My eyes will see the salvation of God. And as a prophetess, she developed also an ear for the Lord too. And so when Jesus showed up in that temple, because she had consecrated herself over and over again, when Jesus showed up, she was able to recognize him. And when Jesus showed up, the salvation of God, then she was able to speak about Jesus to all who were coming. Now, why do we fast and pray? Why are we consecrating ourselves during times like this? It's to develop a consecrated heart to the Lord to develop a heart of dependency on the Lord, just like Anna had, to develop a heart where we say, God, I too want to walk with you. I too want to talk with you. I too want to hear from you. And I too want to see your goodness in the land of the living. I want you to break through so that I too, my eyes might see the salvation of God. That's part of what we're participating in a fast for. She learned to talk with God so that she could do this. But it wasn't just a talk with God. It wasn't just a walk with God that Simeon had. But Jesus himself represented for us the clearest way to take those things and cause us to run with God. Whenever you walk with God, that's something that oftentimes, especially in Western culture, that people think is something that's personal, right? It's just my personal walk with God. Those are the terms that people often express them in. I have a walk with God. When I talk with God, yes, that is also a relational thing, right? God's, I'm talking to God and God's talking to me. It's all the basis of our faith, right? A relationship with the living God. That's the good news that we have offered to us in Jesus Christ. But then ultimately he says, when you walk with me, when you talk with me, then eventually I'm going to show you where I'm moving and I need you to run with me. I need you to run with me. And in the new year, what we have an opportunity to do is begin to run with God in a new way so that we too might see the salvation of God. Where does that begin though? We see it in the life of Jesus. As Jesus was continuing to grow, we know that he wasn't just the um, old faithful at this point. He wasn't the overcomer like uh, Anna was, but he was our Lord and he was prepared to live as our Lord by walking himself 
in the temple. And if Jesus had a declaration, instead of actually saying, my eyes will see the salvation of God, he would have said something like this. Don't you know that I must be in my father's house? In this like beginning of my ministry, I need a foundation. I'm going to be in my father's house. And from that place of being molded and shaped and my mind being renewed, not according to the ways of the world or the way people do things around me, but according to God's eternal purposes and his ways, I'm going to be able to run with my heavenly father because he's setting out for me his purposes that I was sent here to fulfill. And we see that in Jesus' early life. Right? Often people say, what happened after Jesus was born? Well, it tells us at least up to the age of 12 what he was doing. He was living as a young Jewish boy fulfilling the Jewish law's commandments. And we see this in Luke chapter 2. It says, now his parents went to Jerusalem, talking about Jesus' parents, every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. Good parenting. But they, they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? I'm getting prepared in essence is what Jesus was saying to run with my heavenly father. I'm getting prepared to actually bring the salvation of God to this world in such a way that no one else can do. I alone am the lamb of God. I alone am the savior of the world. My sinless life is going to provide propitiation for the rest of the world so that the world could be saved through my sinless life, death, burial, and resurrection. He was basically intimating to them, I've got to be in my father's house to be able to be prepared to run with him. And he said that as he said this to them, they didn't understand what he spoke to them. They're like, boy, what are you talking about, right? Could you imagine that if your child said that to you? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's bed? Like, boy, you better get in the car, right? It's sort of like, but he, they didn't understand to him at the moment, but instead it said he went down with them to the, um, Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in, his heart, in her heart while Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. So as Jesus was dedicating himself to the word of God, to the purposes of God, to the life of God within the temple, what was happening is that he was growing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. Hear this now. Many of you as men or women of God have been experiencing this, growing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. And then all of a sudden you're saying, well, this is great for me, but is it just for me? The answer is no. 
The answer is that God causes you to grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men so that you can, in fact, be a bringer of his salvation to the world. Just like Jesus, who was the author of salvation, he says, I'm preparing you to actually run with me, growing in wisdom, growing in stature and in favor with God and men so that you too might see the salvation of God, not just in your life, but in the lives of those around you that you would in fact have the ability to bring a, be a bringer or a carrier of that salvation through the gospel message. But it is starting with understanding what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said. He said, I will not glory, I will not glory even in my orthodoxy as I'm giving myself to the study of God, as I'm giving myself to theology and understanding the nature and the purposes of God, I'm not going to glory even in my orthodoxy, for even that can be a snare if I make a God of it. If all, if the end of my study is all, the only thing that I can think of is that I have right doctrine and right orthodoxy and I could proclaim it to people and that's it, then you can make a God of it. Let us rejoice, he said though, in him in that walk with God, in that talking with God, that relationship with God, that your orthodoxy would in fact lead you to him and in all his fullness and in him alone, in him alone, that my confidence, my courage, everything that comes out of me is because I'm found in him alone. And from that place, I pivot and I'm able to actually bring his salvation. Jesus expressed this whenever you see later in his ministry, pivoting from that place, an example in Matthew chapter nine, and it says that Jesus had started his ministry and starting to run with the father, having been trained in his father's house. Jesus passed on from there and two blind men followed him crying aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to him, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, according to your faith, will it be done to you? And it said that based on the faith that they had, God's goodness was expressed and they were healed of their blindness. See, for them, that was actually them seeing the salvation of God, the rescue, the deliverance of God. It wasn't just them going to heaven when they die. Everybody understand that? But it was a blind man saying, I can see. How many people know that changed their lives? And that's what God wants to do. Even in this hour, he wants to bring about changed lives. Why are we fasting and praying? Why are we doing this Explore God series? Because we want to see God change lives. And we can declare like they did, my eyes will see the salvation of God, not just in my life, but in family members' lives and friends' lives, and classmates' lives, and co-workers' lives, as we believe God. But he says, be it done unto you according to your faith. Be it done unto you according to your trust. That's why the topic of the, great fa- the fast that we're doing is great faith, that we'd have great expectation of God as we walk with him, as we talk with him, as we learn to run with him in the things that are going to bring salvation, not only in our lives, but in the lives of those around us. 
we see that um, in this um, particular instance. Jesus' life and ministry were shaped and directed by his dedication to his, the Father's house, the Word, which are the Scriptures and his purposes. And in the new year, we need to also give ourselves to, our, uh, to things such as these that we might have a present purpose and an eternal reward. Now, when we, whenever we hear things like this, it's, it's easy to say, well and good. Well and good. Yes. Yes and amen. Yes. Yes. Yes, another message. New year. New faith. Yada, yada. Okay. How are we going to do it? How are we going to do it? Let me get real practical, and then we're going to land this plane. How are we going to do it? If we're going to get real practical about running with God, I say that we need to have three things, okay? We need to have a purpose. We need to have a plan. And we need to have a group of godly people to counsel you. We need to have a purpose. We need to have a plan. We need to have a group of godly people to counsel you. Jesus' purpose was clear. If Jesus said about himself, like my eyes will see the salvation of God, yes, absolutely. Why? Because he would be the bringer of it. But I like what um, um, Michelangelo, the artist, said. (laughs) Whenever people are starting the new year, you know, we know the purposes of God are to save. We know the purposes of God are to bring deliverance and marriages and new, new life and people who don't know him. We know that, right? Can everybody say yes and amen to that? with some enthusiasm? (laughs) Okay, good. Yes and amen to the purposes of God, right? But a lot of times we just go through the motions. And Michelangelo actually said it this way. I like him if you're inspired by people other than theologians. He said this. He said, the greater danger for most of us lies not in setting our aim too high and falling short, but in setting our aim too low and achieving our mark. That's what Michelangelo said. Michelangelo did quite a bit, did he not? And in faith, we need to have the same expectation, right? If we're going to run with God, we've got to set our aim and our faith high to expecting to see the um, salvation of God. Whenever we're going into the new year, whenever we're fasting and praying and believing for deliverance and rescue in our own lives or believing for rescue and deliverance in our family lives or coworkers' lives or, um, um, or classmates' lives, the expectation or the bar needs to be high. The bar needs to be not just we'll see what happens. How many people have ever heard of a man named Charles Spurgeon? Okay, Charles Spurgeon was a great minister in the midst of London, and he actually had a school for ministers or a school for students. And actually, there was a young man who came to him one time, and it was one of the first mega churches that were known in the Western world. And one of his students asked him, Mr. Spurgeon, whenever you preach, people come to the Lord. People respond to Jesus and their eyes are open and they respond to this gospel. But whenever I speak, nothing happens. And he asked the young man, he said, young man, what do you expect to happen when you speak? And he said, I don't know, I just speak. And he said, therein is your answer. Therein is your answer. He said, Jesus said, be it done unto you according to your faith because it changes your interactions. It changes your fervency. It changes your appeal to Almighty God who is moving by the Holy Spirit on behalf of those whom you're crying out for him to affect. God Almighty is responding to faith. And whenever we have a point, um, what was it? Whenever we're going to God and learning to run with him, the first thing that we need to do is have some New Year's resolutions that meet his ability. 
that meet his ability to align ourselves with his purpose and say, God, whether by your spoken word or your written word, I have an expectation of you. The psalmist in Psalm chapter five said it this way. He said, give ear to my words. O Lord, consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. When you read the Psalms, these are provocations for the way that we should interact with Almighty God, right? God, I'm asking you to give ear to my cry. I'm asking you to give attention to that which I'm setting before you as a prayer. And he says, oh Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and then do this and then watch. I watch. I watch. What is he talking about there? In the NIV, it says, I set my prayer or my request before you and I wait in expectation. Expectation of what? That the very thing you've requested of God, he'll answer. Isn't that good news? It's not we're just not offering up to prayers to somebody who doesn't see or hear. God is looking to show himself strong on behalf of the prayers of his saints. And whenever we look further down in the scripture, we see in verse 11 and 12, it says this. He's ending the psalm this way. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Why? Because God's answering prayers. Let them rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor. Favor, meaning God himself is working on your behalf. And the thing he's called you to be and do for his glory, he says, I'm giving you favor. And I surround you with favor as with a shield as you commit yourself to running with me. How many people believe that? And say yes and amen to that. That's the word of God. You've got to have a purpose, but then you've also got to have a plan, right? There is no doing the works of God without a plan. We don't just show up and expect every kingdom work to happen or to everything to fall into place. Psalm 16, 1, 3, and 9, write those down. Look them up later. Some of my favorite, Proverbs 16, 1, 3, and 9, talks about the response of God as his responsibility, but the responsibility of man and women is to actually have a plan. Have a plan. And he says, have a plan if you're going to run with me. Get my counsel in my presence, in my word, to have great expectations. Hear from the Holy Spirit and then run with me, but have a plan to do so. The problem is, is as Mike Tyson said, even when you have a plan, he says everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. That's life, right? Can you imagine Mike saying that back in the day? Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Right? It's sort of like, listen, it's like you go into life and you go into the ring expecting great things from God, but then life hits, right? Life hits. I was expecting, you know what I mean, my career to look this way. I was expecting my family to look this way. I was expecting like the droves and the multitudes to come as soon as I opened my doors for an Explore God community group. Why are there only three people? Oh God, what have I done? Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Well, here's the thing. You've got to still maintain faith in the midst of that, right? 
You've got to still have great expectation in the midst of that. And what people often do whenever you're called to something, but then you hit an obstacle, is you go into panic mode. And in panic mode, the devil drives us to nonsensical decisions. Has anybody ever wanted to do something great for God or see God show them his salvation and then run to difficulties and wanted to bail? Has anybody ever gone into panic mode when the difficulties came? Yes, me too. It's like gunshots being fired in a crowded room. The panic in the midst of the gunshots causes more disaster and more chaos than if people actually were getting counsel and listening to the voice of one who could provide order and they end up hurting more people than would have been hurt if they hadn't panicked and run out. You don't go into isolation when you're facing difficulties. You don't go into bad counsel or ungodly counsel when you get hit by life's trials. You stay in the pocket, you stay in godly counsel, and you surround yourself with mature leaders or mothers or fathers in the faith who can settle the crowd down. You don't get your counsel from other people who are trampling those around you. You get your counsel from those who actually have the wisdom of God, have the word of God, can hear from God, and help encourage you to stick with the plan. And having godly counsel of, um, around you will enable you to fulfill the great expectations that God has for you and have, give you the ability to walk out the plan almost like a do-it-yourself job. Over the course of this break, this is the last thing I'll say. It's been without a washing machine for about two months now. It's been great. Not really, but it's, it's been, been great because I've been going to the laundromat. That's why it's been great. And I forgot what quarters actually looked like until I was actually spending about $7.25 per load. And it's expensive. Um, but I got to meet a lot of great people and, you know, preach good news. It's good. But then my brother-in-law came. And I thank God for my brother-in-law, who's B's husband, because he's actually uh, a man who actually has skill around the home. I can lead my home, but as far as having skill around the home, I, I break more things than I fix. And I went to Home Depot, and I, oft, I, I tried a DIY. Does anybody know what a DIY is? Okay, has anybody ever tried a DIY before that went awry? A do-it-yourself, right, and caused more harm than good? That's a lot of times what happens whenever people are trying to pursue the purposes of God. They do their own DIYs, right? A do-it-yourself without any counsel. They, have, they go into their plans that they've made, and they say, well, God's anointed me, God's appointed me, I can actually fulfill this on my own. And he, then what happens is you end up breaking more things than actually helping. But what God calls us to is to the counsel of the godly, right? When you look back at what Mary and Joseph had to do, they had to understand that the bigger the task that God's given you, the more counsel you need to actually fulfill it. The bigger the task that God's given you, the more godly counsel that you need to actually fulfill it. What did Simeon say about Jesus? He said that he will be appointed for the rising and the fall of many in Jerusalem, right? And a sword will pierce your own soul too. 
whenever we're called into the things that God's called us to do, whether it be our marriage or whether it be a business or whether it be some sort of calling, what happens is, is that we get tested along the way. And when you're tested, you need some counsel that will help you see objectively and clearly so that you can stay the course, so that you won't get knocked off the course in the midst of you actually preparing yourself to see the salvation of God. And if you do, if you actually have that counsel, if you actually follow the plan that God's given you, if you, in fact, actually give yourself to the purposes of God in the land of the living, you too will see the salvation of God. The question is, does it matter when he's speaking to you? That one thing in the midst of a fallen world, that one thing he's telling you to do, does it matter if the world will still be fallen around you, that effort that you're going to make? And the answer is unequivocally yes. The answer is unequivocally yes. That thing that he's telling you to do, it's going to provide for the salvation of someone. It's going to provide for the salvation of some people. And you need to do it whether or not anybody's in agreement with you except the godly counsel he gives you. You need to do it. You need to step out in faith. And so in the new year, what we need to have is a great expectation, a great expectation that God's going to move, that God's going to move and that our eyes too will see the salvation of God. But we're going to see the salvation of God if we learn to walk with him, if we long to talk, um, long to talk with him, and if we learn to run with him in a proper way that's set out by the scripture. And as we do so, not only will we be delivered from the things that beset us, whether it be our sins or ailments or otherwise, but God will also allow us to see his salvation on other people's behalf. That is our expectation. That is our faith. That's how we're going to posture ourselves as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody agree with that? All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to actually go back into worship now. And as we go back into worship, we're going to have a moment of communion. Let me tell you, here's where it all starts. The worship team can come up. If you are here today and you do not know Jesus Christ, none of what I said will matter at all unless you have been reconciled to the living God, unless you have actually turned away from your sin, Put your faith in Jesus and say, God, change me first. The first salvation that I need is in my heart, in my soul. I need you to change me. I need to be born again. I need to be made a new man or a new woman. And then as you are, God gives you the gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit to turn and live for him in his power and his authority. So as we go back in worship today, into worship today, consider where am I before God? How do I need to respond to him? And how do I need to posture myself for great faith that I too might see the salvation of God in 2019? Amen.